This is Arcadia Cast, brought to you by Camp Arcadia on the shores of beautiful Lake Michigan. Here you get to listen in on the stimulating lectures of thoughtful and engaging Christian leaders from across the country, like extended TED Talks from a Christian perspective. Today's talk is from Sunitha Mortha, Associate to the Bishop of the Metropolitan Chicago Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. This morning, you know, I had thought that maybe we would um, get into more content, and I will get into more content, but I realized yesterday that, you know, there was not a lot of space for conversation because, you know, some of these concepts that I was sharing with you are relatively new. And so this morning, I just wanted to go through some pieces with, uh, and following, following up with some comments that I heard that people came up to me and shared. So, um, and that'll be sort of the revision of uh, yesterday's uh, presentation. If you remember, we dived into uh, talking about my story or your story. What are the things that have formed and informed you? What is culture? Um, we looked at the definition of culture. We looked at different metaphors that talked about culture. We talked about different characteristics the, of culture. We saw a video that sort of exemplified the characteristics of culture. And then we took a look at another metaphor for culture is the iceberg, the tip, and what lies under the water, what gives meaning and value to the tips uh, um, at the tip of the iceberg. And then um, I shared with you about bellies and seems to have been a big hit. And uh, you're adopting it, yes. And thank you too for your beautiful music yesterday. It was awesome, thank you so much. And. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, what does this have to do with mission? You know, why is this woman talking about bellies and what does that have to do with mission? And if you look at mission history, for example, I would say that one of our synods went to our companions and uh, in a place in, in a country in Africa. And, um, um, you know, when they went there, this indigenous tribe, the women didn't wear anything on the top. They didn't wear anything on the top. And so this Synod decided that, you know, they would want to do a project. And um, they sent boxes of bras to this indigenous people. And after six months after they sent um, the bras over, they went to see if what was the fruit of this ministry. And they went over, and then they saw that they were using them. The men were using them. They had it around their waist, and they were using the cups as cup holders. <laughs> True story. True story. And it's good for us to laugh at this, you know. Um, it is good for us to laugh at this because in a lot of ways in our mission ministry, you know, we tend to do this. We tend to see people from the tip of the iceberg. Of course, we have our glasses, and we think we know what other people need, right? Whether it's homeless ministry, whether it's um, ministry for feeding people or whatever it is, we tend to look at mission by looking at the tip of the iceberg. Because to, in order to, to really understand what is going on underneath the water, that requires relationship, right? And that's way too hard. 
that's way too hard for us, you know, in order to uh, do ministry. And so we like to take shortcuts and think about what is at the tip of the iceberg and what we see and make judgments according to that. I just wanted to mention that to you as we move forward. The other thing I wanted to mention to you as I was talking about orange marriage and I didn't realize how many people had questions about me and Warren. <laughs> I'll keep you guessing. <laughs> yeah, we're we're sort of a rare rare couple, you know, on top of it, you know, that he's African American and I'm Indian. And so I met him uh, in our workspace. And um, again, I want to tell you that arranged marriage has different practices. You know, it's very diverse. India is very diverse. Every state speaks a different language. It's a little bit like Europe. Do you understand? So it's in one country, but every state has a different language. So we are culturally very different. I mean, we might s seem to be similar, and we have a similar uh, ways of approaching life and stuff like that, but we are culturally distinct. And um, so arranged marriage could have a little bit of dating and could have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you'll see different expressions of arranged marriage as you go through different parts of India. I will tell you something interesting in how that manifested with me and Warren, for example. I'll give you some examples. It's a very interesting journey that we've had with one another. Um, we met one another, you know, we were friends for, we were friends for a really long time. I'm just kidding, that's what Chip's uh, joke with me. And, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, at a point, uh, you know, he would ask me whether he could meet my family and, or meet my friends. And I would say, no, you cannot meet my friends or my family. And he would talk about me to his friends and his family and said, will you meet my friends and family? I said, no, unless, you know, we've decided that we want to get married. I am not going to meet them. And he said, well, how am I supposed to, uh, you know, figure out, you know, whether I want to get married to you without meeting your parents? And I said to him, it's like, do we have an option? They're my family. If you love me, you will love my family. <laughs> I think I have no option. Your family is important to you, no matter how dysfunctional it is or not. You know, that's not the point. The point is that I know that, you know, they're linked to you. And so that's our understanding. So I said, I can't. I said, if you come to my family and I introduce, introduce you to them, and then you said, I, we're not sure, we're figuring it out, they will look down on you. They will think you're the playa playa of the United States. <laughs> you understand? So that's the way that our culture and community understand. So here you have match.com, and for the Indians, we have shadi.com, which means wedding.com. Dating is a means to an end. You see? It, there is no anything in between there. So that's a fundamental understanding. But again, it gets interpreted in different ways. All right? Um, 
But when, you know, I did this presentation once and then I had um, someone come and ask me, oh, was there anybody in your family that had loved marriage, you know? And I said, yes. And this young woman said to me, how progressive of you. Okay? She said, how progressive of you. And I paused and I waited and I said, my sister's married in an arranged marriage. And I waited. I paused because how backward of you? You see what I'm saying? And this is what I mean by the social Darwinism that uh, you're sort of exposed to because people are waiting for you to discover dating. You know, for you to have arrived. You know, that you don't have the right way to do life. Now I want to connect this back to the backdrop of how we understand the mission story, you know? is to teach people how to do things. You understand where, how you see these connections? So I, I'm surprised um, at the ways that then this manifests itself uh, when I've experienced being in congregations here in the United States. And then again, I also wanted to say, then there was another question and a comment saying, and I get this too, um, saying, what's the divorce rate in India? And I say, it's 2%, but I never go there. I actually don't answer that question when folks ask me, because that's not the point I'm trying to make. I am not trying to get you all signed up for arranged marriage, you know, in some ways, because I'm not trying to, I'm just saying that people have different ways of uh, doing life. And w in spaces, I don't find that I have a, a, a seat at the table to speak of the ways that we do life, where we landed. You know? Does this mean that, uh, that arranged marriages are better uh, than dating? Maybe, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> What I'm saying is that, that, that to have a space to talk about it, you know, to say that it is a valid way that people get married and people have issues there and people have issues here. Our culture is curved in on itself and so is yours. And that's how we understand sin and brokenness. And that's the point that I try to drive when I'm doing this. Uh, and because I am... I'm sort of flagging the things that where people go as we have this conversation to either make it exotic and say, oh, that's better than this, or this is better than that. But this, I'm just showing you the diversity in which we can approach life. And it's not something that people know about. Make sense? All right. The other thing to watch for is the tendency for us to want to uh, build a Tower of Babel and not uh, enter into the scary reality of Pentecost. 
I just wanted to make sure that I summarize some of the couple of points that I wanted to tell you. And before we move to the next piece of what I'm going to share with you, today I'm going to share with you a little bit more about the values. And again, I love where Gabe took us to, uh, to this morning, and I think he'll dig deeper into that individualism that he was talking about. And before I do that, I just wanted to uh, make a clarification about how to understand collectivism. You know, I said uh, that Indians have community at the center of their iceberg, and here it's individualism at the, at the center of the iceberg. And when I say collectivism, it's not just, uh, not just community. It's not just community. I'll give you an example. My, um, they're my nieces and nephews that were born in India, and then they're my nieces and nephews that were born, that are born in the United States. And so when my parents came to visit here, they would be walking, you know, and, and they're walking, and then the ones that are in the United States, they're way ahead. They're just like, you know, they're walking, they're, you know, looking at things and then doing all that in front. And I saw the, the kids that were born in India in the middle. In their, they were in the middle and they were, uh, you know, looking to catch up with the folks in the front, the young people in the front, but their head kept turning towards their grandparents. They were like, you know, that's how powerful that uh, formation is. The center of locus within you, the center of control within you, ever since you're born, it's pointed towards the community. So, you know, we say, oh, give grandpa, grandma some water. Poor grandma, give... Uh, grandma some water. They'd be like, why is grandma poor? <laughs> but, you know, it's like creating empathy uh, that focuses it away from the individual need. And I see that all the time as, you know, we're bringing up Victor. And then, you know, Warren says, do you want vanilla or chocolate? I'm saying, just give him some food. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so, and then, um, you know, they say, here's the pacifier or here's the blanket. I was like, why does he need a pacifier or a blanket? What is this, shop liver? <laughs> it's a tethering. It's a tethering. Um, yeah, it's, you know, so here, even if you read psychology, it's about what? That independence, right? You want to make the individual independent. It's not like Indians don't know how to dress and feed themselves and stuff like that. Yes, we're there. But the tethering, right, is very strong. I don't want Victor to go too far without looking back for me. So you, you, can you feel the depth of that formation? Then I say to people, of course, arranged marriages is going to be like, oh my gosh, what is that, you know? Because you have not been formed that way. And it's not shocking to our system when we get there for marriage. Make sense? All right, thank you, thank you. So I am just going to place some um, 
questions. And part of it is, I want to evoke that dialogue. You know, when I put his mission about transferring cultural and national uh, values, I just put the question out there for you to chew on. It might be, there could be certain values that we exchange, there could be certain, you know, things that, that happen, but I want us to chew on some of these questions and not just let them fade away into the background. So here too, when I'm sharing here a couple of values that you might want to take a look at, um, you know, therefore starting a conversation. And then to remember that culture is ever evolving. You know, what I'm wearing right now is an evolution of culture. This is not traditional in the sense that where's my mother or some, somebody would wear it. This is evolving. You know, the patterns are evolving, things are evolving. Culture is ever evolving. And then, you know, I make some generalizations, you know. So what I'm talking about are leanings. It doesn't mean that people who live here don't have any sense of community. That's not true, right? But the leaning is very individualistic. It's so individualistic. There's a sociologist, Hofstede, you know, if you read him, if 100, you know, this is the continuum, 100 to zero, the United States is at 91 on this side of the continuum. If collectivism is on this side and individualism is on this side, 91 is where the United States scores. Where is it? 42. China would be again in the 30s. So the more, more east or, you know, so the gap comes in. And when I do missionary orientations or trainings, these are the things that I show. When they feel, when they go, when they feel like tension, these are the spots where we feel tension between one another. So let's say the attitude towards change, because you're relatively a, a newer culture, whether you know it or not, you're, and you're more open. Change is a good thing. Is that me? Is that somebody? Okay. Um, change is a good thing. No matter whether you realize it or not, ancient thing, old things, uh, we're trying to preserve those things. The Indus Valley civilization is two centuries BC. That's how long that civilization comes from. You see what I'm saying? And the way that our culture reacts to change is different. What this organization desperately needs is change. <laughs> Easily erasable. Camden whiteboard markers. <laughs> what did I tell you about commercials, right? There you go. You understand how. Um, here's another way to understand collectivism because I am because we are. How you understand your identity is like I am because we are. And I'll connect this to a, a thing that you would see. So this is basically what I wanted to cover today in our session. So if you put two icebergs next to one another and they're in a continuum, right? Individualism and collectivism. And here are a couple of things that you see surfacing up. 
And then, so you see choice, but choice, remember how we talked about how love is understood differently? You know, how my dad explained love and how love is ex uh, understood and expressed here in the United States, you know? And so it's the same with freedom. Freedom is understood from a very individualistic perspective. I need to hear whether you're tracking what I'm saying right now. We're getting to the depth of the weeds right now here, right? Right? Yeah, you need to be a little more Baptist or Pentecostal or whatever that is. You know, so just give me, say hallelujah. And then, and so, and then when we see choice, you know, when I said what, you know, what do you think about arranged marriage? What say? No choice. So for, from an individualistic perspective, you understand choice in a certain way. And so when you see a culture that does not doing the same thing, your move is to say there's no choice. Just one second. I'll get, I'll get back to it. The move is to say there's no choice. There is choice, but the, the choice is taken by the community. So this is taking out what we understand. We're, we say these things all the time, right? <laughs> these are self-evident and you know, there's so many things packed in here, right? When we say these things and how do we understand that? And how a culture could understand it differently. Number one is to saying then bringing it to saying, oh, somebody could understand this in a different way. It, it's the other thing that then, you know, that we can have a conversation as a Christian community what does it mean to be free? Because we as Christians have a different understanding of freedom. Anyone? You see what I'm saying? So saying that, yes, there's an understanding of culturally what we understand freedom to be than what we understand Christians, what freedom is. Are you following me now? I think the ultimate arranged marriage is between you and God, my friends. And something else that I wanted to share with you, Luther actually comes from a collectivist perspective. At that time, that culture was collectivist. So it would benefit you to read that through the lens of collectivism. Not so much is that it's the right way, but to Gabe's point, it's because the pendulum has swung to so far towards individualism. Choice, right? And then this goes to all these things that we're seeing in, in the context. It's not just about the biological things that are happening in our body, but because as an individual, right, when folks from different generations are, are making choice, the choice is so much on the shoulders of the individual that it's crushing people. It is crushing people with the weight of the choices. I say, at least in arranged marriages, you can blame your parents. But there's, you know, we laugh at this, but there's something about that shared weight. There's something about sharing that weight that life is, that life is not easy. And we need community. The healthiest version, again, I'm going to critique the, this side, the healthiest version of collectivism for me is when uh, the happiness of the individual, the well, I wouldn't even say happiness, the well-being and the individual's um, 
flourishing is at the center of the community. Does this make? The community pursues relentlessly the happiness of the individual. I mean happiness in its depth, okay, not in the way that it's understood here. Does this make sense? That's the healthiest version. It's not always in the healthiest version. It isn't in India. So when it actually happens well is that when parents and the family are so committed to the daughter or sons or, you know, that they are, you know, that they will have the most fruitful marriage. That's when it works the well. You know, that they're not trying to live out whatever they're trying to live out. That's the healthiest marriages that happen in arranged marriage. They are flawed. You know, there's no getting out of it. That's what I want to say. This is the most, the, we cannot get to that perfection. Come on, Lutherans. Yes, come on, Lutherans. We got to get this. There is no, because that's what's happening in our culture, saying this is the ideal. If you reach this, then you've reached perfection. It's not. There's no time in our lives that we're not going to need Jesus. It's not, so there isn't there. It is an acknowledgement of like, yes, is it beautiful? Yes. Is there beauty? Yes. Is there gift? Yes, there is. Is there ugliness? Is there evil? Is there exclusion? Is there oppression? Yes. Yes. It's okay. But we can be mirrors onto one another. And whether we like it or not, God designed us that way. That we can't avoid being in a relationship. I might bring something to you, I think I am, a perspective that you would never have heard. That could be life-giving to you. I mean, we can recount many ways that, you know, the West or the North has been life-giving. But it's very hard for people to name what the global ha South has to give. And I'm here to let you know. Here it is. It can be life-giving. Let me go a little bit more. I find the conversations about justice also, you know, so much about rights. And I'm not saying, again, that has been a gift that has come out of the Western world around rights. And it's, you can see how, why it would be. It's about the individual, right? It's like, so the other half of it is responsibility or duty. That's the other half. And if you see a lot of this, it's the other side of the coin. Really. It's not one-sided. And when it's one-sided, it does not work. It's the other side, which is responsibility. In India, we don't say thank you a lot. And then if you come there, you'll be like, oh, how rude. Right? You know why that is? I learned how to say I'm not like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But over here in India is like, there are certain things. And if, if you're a mother, you're a daughter, you're like your father, you're a father, you do, you do things because that's your, hmm, it's your duty. I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's just what you do. And, you know, the judgment that might, you know, rise from you is that you're not grateful. The judgment that rises from us is that you're selfish. 
You see? It's the other side. Search for identity. I told you my mother, you know, runs this home for all these destitute children. And then we have many visitors that come from the United States. And then she'll ask, Chinna, what are they searching for? What are they searching for? It's the search for identity that we just do not understand. Because what is it? I am? Because we are. And then so equality, you know, there's a different um, starting point to the conversations on equality over here in the United States. We're very hierarchical in the way that we think, and it's not something that people really apologize for. They say this is the way things are. I'm being really blunt with you. Okay, And so it's hard to start those conversations in India about what does equity mean, what does equality mean. Over here, it would be easier. You would start the conversation at another space. But then it gets shut down because meritocracy comes into place. Because if things are unequal, it's because you've earned it. Does this make sense? Just to understand the things that are part of the conversation and where they come from and the values in which you're trying to protect. Self-reliance. This is huge. It's been a value, right, that you pull yourselves up by the bootstraps. And anybody who doesn't do that or, you know, that's a value. That's a huge value. Interdependence is huge. It's huge. You say, I cannot live without you. And my, I told you my dad was, you know, he served as the bishop. And then when we'd, he'd have conversations with the bishops here, they would be like, oh, self-reliance. You know, this is, this is, and my dad would say, why? Why am I in relationship with you? I have certain things to give. You have certain things. You see the different ways of understanding these things that are coming from these two different ways about thinking, you know. And then I often say obedience or submission are swear words <laughs> in this culture. I'll be like, they're not. If you have an Indian do a Bible study, they will talk about obedience to God and submission to God. It's almost not heard of. And today, when Gabe was talking about being on your knees, that's what it made me think about. Because culturally, there's a kickback in you towards that. It's so in there. Remember how I said your motherboard is giving it a good kick? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me then, you know, to your point, and then that's why I think uh, people cheer up, right, when they talk about the, the, the brothers that you served or the sisters that you served with, you know. Why is that? You know, it's that tethering that happens that's there that feels like it's shared, that pain is shared, that, you know. So there's that piece of it, absolutely. And it is, you know, you can see all those pieces there. But again, it is, it's, it's, if that's on 
the only thing that exists, it's not good. It is not good. What was the tagline that you, you saw? That's the arranged marriage scenario. That's really how you know people come to the families come together, and then you know my sister saw the boots of my brother-in-law. You know when she first, you know they come and then you have tea. There's a tea thing that happens. The families come together, and then you know uh, we bring out tea, and then that's the time that you check out one another. You know, first of all, you have to figure out who's the groom in the whole bunch of people that are there. And then, you know, or, you know, the bride comes in and, you know, sort of thing. And then um, it's called pelichupulu, which is it's like uh, it's the siding <laughs> in some ways. And then um, after that, in my family, you know, um, they went on a couple of dates and then, you know, she came back and then we asked her how it went and she said yes and that's the setting and then you saw how you know but did you see the tagline at the end what did it say get used to choice so does the indian community need to hear about how to protect the individual yes come on yes yes and does this culture need to hear how not to throw community under the bus? Yes. yes. And so we are a mirror onto one another. We are a mirror onto one another. And the gospel is not outside that. Remember what breathes life. What breathes life into the things that are decaying or dark or evil in our culture, the gospel shines through. And in the best of things that the, the Indian community, whichever community, has a light to share. So here are my ending thoughts for today. They're hefty. So the first thing that I was, uh, you know, that I, how I relate this to my faith, you know, because we can, you know, get into the rat race and, you know, get caught up in our ego and, in our ethnocentric. And in life, we're just defending, self-verifying. I got it right. I got that. You know, I got it all right. If you just, you know, so we can end up living life just trying to self-verify or reside in our, our identity, our core identity as a child of God, justified. Justified by a God. And this is just manifestations of the human spirit. These are just manifestations of the human spirit. Inviting us to think about, thinking about our culture in this ways. This is 
This is, I'm going to ask you this question straight up. Do you think diversity is a liability or an asset? You're free to think any which way that you like. Thank you for that. And it's true, right? And that's why we either think it's a liability or it's an asset, depending on our experience with it. But digging back to how we fundamentally understand, if you look around, what God created, you cannot avoid diversity. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. You just can't. You see what I'm saying? So we can't just avoid the conversation. We have to enter into this conversation because it's not the Tower of Babel that we, we are invited into. It's the Pentecost. It's the holy mess. Thank you for that. You know, sometimes we make assumptions. So the, um, what was the, the story of the Tower of Babel? You know, trying to reach God by? By one monolithic way. If you want to go back and read that story, read it through the lens that I'm talking about. It's one way, uh, a unity that strips everything from the diversity of what God created. That's how I read the Tower of Babel. And that is the way, and if we understand uh, what is our approach to diversity or difference that we see around us, that if only people would just get it, right? And I can be that way. Even though I talk about diversity all day till the cows come home, I'm going to be like, if you only get it, right? I, you see what I'm saying? It doesn't mean where you are and what you're doing. Remember, you, you know, our tendency is like, crush that iceberg. Right? So our tendency is always wanting to say a unity that strips things of its diversity, and that being the vision of how we get to God and build something strong, versus a Pentecost way of thinking where different languages were spoken, and it was the miracle of speaking and hearing. So those are the two images that I just want to offer to you and to, for your wrestling. Again, I don't know where you fall in the way that you would approach this, but I'm offering it to you. We've talked about the judgment and curiosity thing, and it's not just about um, just curiosity for the curiosity sense. It's not saying that there won't be discerning judgment. It's not saying any of those things, but this. But, but the exclusionary part, it's something that our church has to, again, wrestle with. What is exclusion? How does it figure in the conversation that we're having? And maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow a little bit more. One thing I want to say to you, if I have that minute, I want to say to you is that we're in a culture that we don't want to acknowledge the difference because maybe it'll make us, it'll put us in a box of some sort of ism. Right, whether it's racism, you name it. We don't want to acknowledge, oh, I see color because we think, oh, they think then I'm racist because I see color, right? I just, I just want you to let that go. It's okay. Yes, yes, you got eyes. <laughs> Who's one of the comedians said, you know, how are you doing traffic if you can't see colors, traffic lights? <laughs> um, <laughs> But you know, but I understand why we go there, because we want to say, I understand this is we're all children of God. But 
you know, our difference is so beautiful and so complex. We cannot get to that unity in the body of Christ without acknowledging that. You know, it would be a very superficial way of welcoming one another, witness, testimony, anything. Yes? Amen? Amen. So acknowledge difference. And then, as you said, there's going to be some struggle. There's going to be some joy. There's no easy way. Remember that iceberg? Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. It's going to be there. It's going to be there. It's not going to disappear. And then my favorite, one of my favorite professors is Miroslav Wolf. And he's, he said something so beautiful in one of his books that talks about the body of Christ. I've, I've heard millions of uh, sermons on the body of Christ. Then, you know, the ear, the head, the toe, everything is needed. You know, the difference in the diversity that exists in the body of Christ is needed. But he pointed out this thing in the verse that just flew by me all my growing up years. Is that when Christ comes to take down that dividing wall between us, Christ takes away the hostility towards the difference, not the difference. Exactly. I was like, oh, hallelujah. I mean, it was just incredible when I heard that. I mean, it was right there in front of me in scripture, but you know, sometimes we're blind to the things that are right there in front of our eyes. And then for us to acknowledge the power of power. Okay, Lutherans, this is not a beer commercial. That's not why I'm showing you that. That's not the moral of the story. It is, I wish that we were um, the body of Christ that encouraged and in our congregations that that would be the cheering thing that we would have when we encounter and learn to love the neighbor. That, you know, we are just like, yes, encouraging one another to step out of our fear and for our discomfort you know, for the sake of the gospel. Read with me. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances that he might create himself one new humanity in the place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility. Praise be to God. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Arcadia Cast, brought to you by Camp Arcadia, a Lutheran family resort and retreat center on the shores of beautiful Lake Michigan. For more episodes or to learn more about camp, please visit www.camp-arcadia.com.